welcome to Rank and File Radio Prairie Edition on CKUW 95.9 FM. Canadian labour news and analysis across Manitoba, Saskatchewan and Alberta. This show is an independent partner with rankandfile.ca and supported by CKUW listeners and Patreon supporters. This episode is broadcasting from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Treaty 1 Territory, the original lands of the Cree, Oja Cree, Anishinaabeg, Dakota and Dene peoples, and the homeland of the Métis Nation. Today's broadcast date is May 3rd, 2020. I'm your host, Emily Weedham. Today on the show, a honkathon at the Manitoba Legislature to protest Premier Brian Pallister's austerity response to the COVID-19 pandemic. According to the CBC, Pallister had asked provincial departments, crown corporations, and universities to drop three different possible scenarios for reductions of 10, 20, and 30 percent. But in a news conference on Tuesday, Pallister said the cuts aren't likely to exceed 10 percent. Nevertheless, community members are concerned at the uncertainty of this news. In response to this, a group called Communities Not Cuts organized an action on Friday, May 1st. This action involved hundreds of cars driving around the legislature honking, as well as an online press conference with different representatives speaking about how the cuts would impact their sector and community. People are pissed about Brian Clown Shoes Pallister. So first you'll hear from Brendan Devlin, who helped organize the action with Communities Not Cuts. Then you'll hear clips of different members from the community, including QP Local 204 President Debbie Boissonneau and Executive Director of the Social Planning Council, Kate Keller. So I'm Brendan. I'm a grad student at the U of Manitoba studying politics, and I'm an organizer with Communities Not Cuts, and uh, I did help do a lot of the outreach and initial organizing to set up this honkathon and sign blitz protest that we did at the Manitoba Legislative Building. Nice. And can you tell me a bit more about Communities Not Cuts? Um, who are the kind of different groups that are involved? Yeah, so Communities Not Cuts is a pretty big coalition of a lot of groups and individuals in Manitoba um, who just sort of came together to fight Pallister's cuts in the wake of uh, in the wake of this pandemic in particular, but aimed at a broader fight against his his austerity politics generally. Um, so we really we have climate justice organizing organizers, we have uh, labor organizers, we have uh, you know a, a lot of organizers from really diverse backgrounds, and we're hoping to bring in as many people as possible to to again fight against Pallister's austerity and hold the government accountable for its dangerous for these dangerous politics. Yeah, so what are some of the uh, main cuts that you're hoping to draw attention to today with the Honkathon? Uh, I think some of the main, like, uh, broadly we want to uh, really push back against the idea, uh, the the call on public sector services to reduce operational expenditures up to 30%. Uh, There's really no conceivable way to do that without pretty major job cuts, and I mean, this is sort of trying to uh, balance the budget in a public health crisis on the back of public sector workers. We're also concerned with, uh, you know, this is going to affect uh, nonprofits that provide really essential services as well. They've also been made to uh, reduce their expenditures and have been threatened with cuts to their funding. So those are, I would say, some of the, the main cuts that we're most concerned with. These are going to affect 
these have implications for universities, for uh, for public schools, for um, nonprofits that provide health care, and all a wide array of social programs. Yeah. So were these cuts included in the budget that came out a few months ago, or are these new announcements that are responding to COVID-19 that the government is saying, oh, because of this pandemic, we have to have more cuts? Uh, there were a great deal of cuts in the in the budget initially, but this there's been a new push for more cuts uh, in the wake of the pandemic, and those are particularly the ones that we're uh, trying to push back against. Especially this again, this thirty percent uh, expenditure reduction is is um, has has been discussed as a response to the pandemic and sort of the uh, disingenuously pitched by Pallister as kind of the only way to to free up funding for healthcare services in the wake of the pandemic. So what kinds of actions did you do today? I understand that there were several different things going on. Can you explain a little bit about what, what happened? Yeah, so uh, again, we've been, we're kind of being faced right now with a government that's really trying to aggressively push a really dangerous um, series of cuts and uh, a really dangerous political line. And so we kind of felt like we had to organize something, uh, some sort of opposition to it but of course given the social distancing protocols we can't really have a normal rally at the ledge so what we did was we got people to make as many signs as possible which communities not cuts we organized pick up and drop off of those signs and we stake them at the ledge and people came and did a honkathon at the ledge so basically as many people as as was possible came to the ledge and were honking incessantly non-stop outside the ledge for brian pallister to hear uh just to so for a vocal show that we oppose these cuts and what he's doing, and that although we're we're in our we may be physically distant, we're we're in our homes, we're still here watching, and we're ready to take action against these cuts. Mm-hmm. And you also had a bit of a webinar thing going on at the same time. Like normally with a rally, you'd have you know speakers speaking at the ledge and all that, but you did that um, online, and you were sort of a facilitator for all that. So tell me a bit about um, the how that online aspect went yeah absolutely yeah so it's i mean thank you that's another uh another thing we kind of had to adapt to the circumstances so yeah instead of having speakers um at the at the action we hosted a webinar uh and we had a a series of guests to talk about you know different areas in particular that these cuts are going to affect um and that was going for the entire duration of the honkathon so as people were honking their cars they were also learning about what these cuts are doing and how we can fight back against them. Yeah. Um, well, thanks so much for providing a bit of an overview of what went on today. It was really cool to, to see. Um, is there anything else that we didn't talk about that is important to mention right now? Uh, I think the main thing is that this is really just the beginning. Uh, this is, this is Communities Not Cuts is interested in a much longer term anti-austerity politics in Manitoba and we really want to encourage people like we wanted to get people's attention and we want as many people as possible to come and participate here because that's really the only way that we can oppose these uh, these cuts is getting out and taking taking action against them and so this is uh, only the first step in a much longer struggle yeah definitely Uh, how can people learn more and get involved uh, so you can, we're on all the regular social media. We have a Facebook page. We're on Twitter. Uh, we also have a website, which is cncmanitoba.ca. 
that's going to be the main place where people can find updates on new actions, and uh, you know we might have some analysis up there as well. That would be the main place. Would be the website, but we are also on. We have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to chat today, Brendan. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Emily. I'll just provide a brief overview of what's been going on. If I do miss anything or anything needs correcting, please feel free to let me know. Um, everyone's been talking about how these cuts have been uh, really bad. And um, just to, to put into context what they've looked like. So about two weeks ago, uh, the Manitoba government asked public sector services to propose three scenarios of cutbacks from 10 to 20 to up to 30% of reduction in workforce and other expenditures that would be deemed as non-essential. In a news conference on Tuesday, he said that these cuts will probably not exceed 10%. Regardless, these cuts are still dangerous. They're still going to harm Manitobans. Uh, several public sector services are going to be affected by this, including universities, civil servants, Crown Corporation, nonprofits, various public social services that provide social programming, housing, healthcare services, amongst others. Palstor also told public sector servants to accept a reduced work, uh, a reduced pay that is in the form of a two-day work week or expect layoffs. And our government has been contracting out private, uh, the private sector in order to deliver public sector services. $18 million has been put into private home-based child care that would be administered by the Manitoba Chamber of Commerce and the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce. $4.5 million has been put into a multinational human resource consulting corporation called Morno Chappelle, which uh, would be delivering online counseling and online therapy to Manitobans during COVID-19. And four million dollars has been put into InTouch, which is a 24-7 call center to help businesses and nonprofits as they try to navigate the federal funding or federal wage subsidies that are going to be provided. Uh, these cuts are not going to be temporary. We will feel their impacts way after COVID, and we're feeling their immediate impacts right now. Um, the government hasn't been very direct, nor has it been transparent uh, about how these measures are going to be rolling out. Um, Manitoba is currently the only province that is cutting. It is the only province that is driving an austerity measure, um, an austerity agenda that is during a pandemic. Um, we've experienced years of devastating austerity. And uh, instead of helping us with government intervention and policies, our government is choosing to balance the budget and rely on free market solutions during a pandemic. And if anything that this pandemic has proven is the inability of the free market to meet our needs, both immediately and in the long run. So currently Daniel is on the ground, he's showing us real-time uh, real footage of all the cars uh, and cyclists of Manitobans showing up to uh, support communities who are facing critical cuts by this provincial government. Um, uh, by the footage, uh, people are following social distancing rules. Uh, lots of folks on their bikes are, are, there, are by themselves or maintaining a proper distance, as well as uh, many signs are being uh, placed into the ground, we can see, uh, with messages to the premier in this government. Uh, speaking against, again, one, once again, against these cuts. Uh, 
just before that, we had Debbie uh, uh, loaded up just to uh, speak. Um, so I, I've introduced her. She, uh, Debbie has experience with the, the healthcare field within Manitoba. Um, and I gave her introduction before. So I'll just send it right over to Debbie. Hi, good afternoon. I hope everyone is uh, making a lot of noise at the rally today. Uh, we know with this government, uh, there's been a lot of cuts uh, over the last two years in healthcare, many cuts to uh, frontline workers' jobs and having full time positions and making a lot of precarious workers. It's really hard through this COVID 19, uh, what's been going on with uh, personal care homes. And uh, just today, today is uh, day one of having to only be able to work in one uh, piece personal care home. And it's been a real trying time. We knew that the government was just going to push this through without actually having much thought or consultation with the unions. And uh, I have had many conversations with um, frontline workers that don't know where they're supposed to be working today or where they're working the rest of the week or from one position to another position. They maybe have benefits at one job but not the other job and they're not really told anything. So these cuts keep coming from the government without being able to have any real insight to how they're going to be able to um, take care of uh, what's going on. So we actually have people that are wanting to resign from the positions because they're being told to go work at a place that maybe is a lot further away from where they live and it doesn't have the benefits and the hours of day are different than what they normally have. So it's been a real hard time with the COVID-19 for those kind of workers. And we really need to know what is best for everybody. And the government shouldn't be making those choices for where they work. So well, the other thing with the COVID-19 and the difficulties with um, the frontline workers in healthcare is the PPEs. The personal protection equipment that the government should have had put in place uh, prior to any pandemic. Uh, they cut healthcare so bad, they cut the funds to healthcare that they were, we were not prepared for this COVID-19. We were not prepared to have staff properly protected. And one of the things that uh, our workers know is I've been in healthcare for 20 years and you were told an N95 for respiratory and this government hasn't provided that. And it's really hard for the government not to provide something that people want, but at the same time to sit back and and say what they have is good enough. It's not good enough for the members that actually work there. We need people that do these jobs. We need people that care for people and we have them. We need a government that cares for the people that do these jobs. And we need a government that respects them. And we just work, we're just not getting that in this, this time with the COVID-19. We feel um, that the government hasn't done enough to protect the frontline staff. The government is cutting continuously uh, by staying only working in one site. And we understand healthcare workers do not want to spread COVID-19 to any personal care homes, but they're not looking at the big picture. We still have people that work within facilities and uh, acute cares, and that's allowed, but personal care home people that work in two, three sites are having their positions cut. And some of them have to work more than full-time hours to pay rent because the government hasn't provided raises. They haven't provided anything in the last four years to the frontline staff. And it's been a real hard time for these workers. So when I come on today, I, you know, 
I'm glad to see that people are standing up and they're protesting against the cut because this is something that people need to come together in strong solidarity to make sure that the government does not continue to cut frontline staff, does not continue to cut, you know, our school sectors, continue to cut any public sectors. Like we need people to keep this economy going. And through these times, this economy is going to take a hit that it's going to take a while to come back from. And we really need to make sure that uh, we are being covered and that people have the respect from the government. The government needs to step up, do more than they are doing and stop with the cuts. So I thank you for having me online. I know that there's some technical difficulties at first and it's a, um, a good thing that we're doing this. And I think one of the things best to say is, you know, with austerity, it is not good for our health. And uh, the government needs to understand that austerity hurts people's health. And I hope that everyone that's listening is out there in support of um, the government to stop the cuts. Uh, so thank you very kindly for having me and uh, stay safe. So as you can see, cars keep rolling in, uh, lots of signs, messaging communities, not cuts. Um, Lots of honking, lots of noise. A reminder for those uh, listening, uh, maybe in their cars possibly, uh, they might have the, this Facebook live feed going on in, on a phone in the car with a passenger possibly, that if anyone does have a sign that they can um, bring those over to Wellington Crescent after this action uh, and stake those in the boulevard and make our message seen to the community on his drive to work that Manitobans uh, uh, want to prioritize community over uh, these austerity measures that are currently being placed. So um, just another reminder for those folks who have those signs that uh, that's the plan of act, that's the next plan of action. So uh, be ready to bring those signs over when they can. Uh, we, ha we have uh, Katie here available now. So I'll, I'll swing it over to you and, and let you speak to the people about what's going on. Hi there, uh, my name's Katie. Um, I was asked to uh, speak about how these cuts are affecting education. And um, what I have to say is that um, before the pandemic, we, uh, across the board, uh, administrative cuts were 15, there was a 15% administrative cut um, uh, for uh, um, uh, school divisions. School divisions were asked to cut their budget by 15% prior to the um the pandemic, and now we've been asked to reduce by another thirty percent. So that puts us at a sixty at, at sixty five percent of our budget um, for helping um, uh, students and families um, at this time. And I just I I certainly feel. Are you, do you have me? Am I live? Are we working? Because it looks like you're frozen, and I'm not sure. Would oh, you let good. me know? That I'm good. You're okay. Good. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, yeah, operating at 60, 65% of our budget, um, or, or sorry, less, less than our, less than that, 55% uh, of our budget, I guess, um, is, is, is quite frankly, unacceptable um, at a time where we, uh, I, uh, every, every teacher I've spoken to has been working way hard, hard, harder than they have ever had to work before. All of us are learning a new online platform. All of our students are, are learning a new online platform, if they're online at all. And, um, and and 
And I just think it's, it's disgraceful. We need all the resources we can get to help uh, our, the future of our province and end of the world be successful at this time. I know a lot of people have been talking about, about um, learning deficits and, and, uh, and, and that's been the big issue for, for a lot of families um, and for schools. And that is, uh, you know, something that a, a bridge that we're going to have to cross when we get to it. But I'm confident in, in, uh, in, in teachers' abilities to be able to support their students in their learning. And that's, um, and that's our job. But um, I have also heard that, they've, that the province has asked, ha- had asked to see a proposal for a 30% cut for our budget for next year, as, for next school year as well. And I just can't, uh, understand that either, especially given that uh, with potential uh, p- potential losses in learning um, and growth, um, that we would be expected to uh, bring everybody up up to speed with less than what we already have. This these thirty percent cuts um, are some of them are 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 okay, and some of them are uh, some of that percentage comes from things that we can we can cut our budget on things that we're not using. Um, but um, it also means that people are being laid off. Um, and um, these are these are our all, all the people that that work for school boards and school divisions are are servants of the public and 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 there to support the needs of children. And so anybody that's lost their job, that's a terrible, terrible, terrible shame. And I can only imagine like what would what we would be able to do if we had the support of our EAs, our educational assistants um, uh, in in uh, planning and executing our lessons. That's sort of where what that's where uh, my um, expertise sort of ends. I hope that is helpful. Totally. Yeah. Thanks so much, Katie. That's, that was a good insight and good perspective again from another community in Manitoba. That's it's, it's the same message, just different part. Yeah. 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 It's just really disappointing. And I am, I'm so excited every day by the work that I see from, from students at my school and from my colleagues and from my neighbors and friends and everybody's working so hard to, um, make sure we all get what we need. But um, when, you know, we're working with less, it makes that harder. So I hope that um, Pallister and the conservative government um, wake up and hear our honking and hear our shouting and crying and Mm -hmm. finally do something and listen about it. Awesome. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you. Have a good day. You as well. Take care. Bye. (laughs) Bye. All right. So we just heard from Katie uh, speaking on education. Uh, And up next we have um, Brianne Gertzen. I actually don't know what hat Brianne's wearing today because uh, she does wear a few and I'm sure she'll let you know. So yeah, I'll just uh, turn it over to uh, Brianne uh, if you're ready. Uh, thank you, Brandon. Just give me a, can you hear me okay, everybody? And you're frozen, so I'm presuming you can. So I'm here. <laughs> Thanks. Perfect. Uh, thank you so much for having me. The hat I am wearing today uh, is with the Child Care Coalition Manitoba and also Child Care Now. Um, and I'll be speaking to the child care crisis that we had prior to COVID-19, during COVID-19, and what we're going to see following uh, coming out of this pandemic at the hands of our government. 
So to kick things off today, uh, I wish I could be there on the grounds giving a, a good old honk in my car. Unfortunately, I, I am here rearing my five-year-old and uh, need to stay here because we, we are, uh, need to stay safe in our household here. Um, I want to also begin by saying happy ECE week to all of our dedicated ECE workers. Uh, you have been given a, a mountain to surpass at the hands of our government. And uh, from my own experience and the experience of my friends and family and all those in the community who benefit from quality nonprofit childcare within our uh, system, thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for the unpaid labor you perform. And thank you for going above and beyond at a time where this government seems to be refusing the fact that childcare is an essential service and it needs to be uh, funded as such. And it needs to be prioritized as a universal publicly funded nonprofit system um, that is high quality Quality with worthy wages paid to you as ECE workers. Uh, and so uh, prior to COVID-19, what's interesting is this government and their budget actually served a cut to childcare sector. And at the same time, they're starting to implement a private consultant report. And so when the actual COVID hit and schools were closed, I think everybody can attest to who have children, we were left to scramble. And that's not to contain all of the issues that were within our childcare centers with unanswered questions. Um, what were the workers going to do? How are we gonna protect our children? How are we gonna protect our workers? These are essential questions that need to be answered by our government. And I think what this pandemic exposed and what women and people around this world has been calling for for decades uh, is to have a universal universal system of childcare within not just Manitoba, but across the country. And so childcare needs not just provincial leadership, but also federal leadership to ensure that we're taking care of our children and taking care of our ECE workers. I can sit here today and tell you all about all the research studies that support the system in which we're advocating for, um, but I don't. I really want to tell you that we still have access problems. We still have funding problems. We're still not respecting our staff. And our government has frozen operating grants to our childcare centers to 2016 level. They are struggling to re pay rent, they are struggling to pay their staff, and they are still trying to service their community as best they can given the limitations that have been put upon them by this government. When COVID-19 hit, I think all of us uh, can collectively say we were dismayed uh, and quite uh, ticked off when we heard $18 million was going to be uh, put to the hands of the Chamber of Commerce and dispersed at their whim. I think this uh, gives you an indication of where our government prioritizes childcare and where they prioritize it in the public policy agenda. I do want to talk about the KPMG review because it's really important for folks to understand that they will be using this pandemic to further their plans of privatization that were set into motion prior to COVID-19. It was about the marketization of our childcare under the guise of choice. Whenever government proposes choice within our childcare sector, it's been proven time and time again, they increase the parent fees, decrease the, the quality of staffing. So that means less training um, and ensure that there's less benefits uh, to their staff. Because when you put profits before people, you forget that you're looking after children and you forget that quality should be first and foremost. And so that is what our government is trying to do with their choice initiatives. They use federal funding to also put an antiquated program that was under Mike Harris government in Ontario and under the Stephen Harper government um, to give businesses at tax credits in order to operate childcare. This is not an effective a strategy to ensure that we're increasing spaces in Manitoba. And I do not need to start about the waiting list that we have in Manitoba and our government just quietly took off online. 
And where it's at in 2018 levels was over 16,000 children waiting for a childcare spot. That is unacceptable in Manitoba. Manitoba is lauded as one of the best provinces next to Quebec in regards to our childcare because we have a high level of nonprofit centers. We want to keep our nonprofit centers. We also want to keep our fees affordable. Even at the fee level that we are now, parents still cannot afford childcare. That is unacceptable. We have childcare deserts across the city and across the province. And in northern Manitoba, our government should be ashamed of what they're doing in regards to childcare provision. In my opinion, there is a path forward. We can do this together. We can fight against these cuts, not just through communities, not cuts, but through all of our respective advocacy groups. And I would call upon people to pull out the 2016 Manitoba Early Learning and Child Care Commission that actually laid out a system of universal accessible child care that would be publicly publicly funded and laid the groundwork to stop the patchwork of childcare that we have in this province and start prioritizing it at the top of our public policy planning. Because in order to recover from this pandemic, I hate to break it to this government, but they actually need to provide childcare. And for, for all the parents out there, hang in there. You're doing well. I know it's really hard. Uh, and for our ECE workers, my heart goes out to you. My family has benefited from your care of our child. Uh, in more ways than you'll ever imagine. And I think we need to remember that. We need to remember our children and we need to remember our workers. And I only hope that our government recognizes that they're not respecting any kind of labor that is performed by predominantly women, racialized women. And at the end of the day, it would be really prudent upon our government to really look at the research, read the research, and see that the universal publicly funded model of childcare is the way to go. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Brianne. That was, yeah, you, you got it all in there. I tried. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah, that's very, yeah, it's good perspective. Cool. Up next, we have Audrey. So I'm just going to pass it off to you. Ah, good afternoon. Afternoon. Well, I know our frontline workers have been doing a heck of a job. And uh, I think this pandemic is a way to show that how much they more pay they need, as well as benefits and so much more that we, we can do. Um, I'm a person on disability right now uh, because of Mr. Pallister's cuts in the past even. Uh, we have no longer uh, transportation available for people with disabilities. Uh, $5 a day for food it does, does not cut it. So for him to think that uh, we all can do fine on welfare, uh, that's not true. Uh, that's why I have been uh, doing my share in the sense of sharing how to grow food and such. Even got a nice little pitchfork here for him. If he wants to help out, which is very doubtful. But anyway, uh, these cuts have been happening before this pandemic, and it needs to stop. It's not like uh, this debt thing is something that is actual uh, reality anyway. It's just a bunch of numbers. We're talking about people, human beings that need to be properly fed, properly cared for. And as anyone of any religion knows that, that the part of the teachings is to care for one another, not to subject them to even more hardships and more and just more negative stuff that they should not have to deal with. Right. Opening up, uh, I think, is a little too soon. It's uh, going to put a lot of pe more people in danger, I, fe I feel personally, um, as a person who already has an uh, compromised uh, system I really don't want to have to be around others where possibility of me getting sick you know uh, I need a double lung transplant as it is I don't need to be having to go through more but his cuts have been drastic for many um, is uh, 
disagreement with the CERB is very telling. It's very telling on the type and personnel um, ideology this person has, as well as the conservative group in itself. This thing of dog eat dog, well, I'm not a dog, okay? <laughs> I can be a bitch sometimes, but I'm not a dog. <laughs> and I'm not going to be out there eating others and uh, playing that kind of game. It's not what creator and creation was intended. And we need to get back to that thing of, you know, caring for each other and actually doing for each other. We're talking about a government right now that is not doing that. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you again. All right. Okay. Have a great day. You too. <laughs> uh, so we just heard from uh, Audrey. Uh, now we will be heading over to Hannah Mahajran from Manitoba Energy Justice uh, Coalition, who will uh, speak on the environmental impact uh, uh, during this time. Um, so yeah, I'll just... Uh, Head over that way to Audrey, or I mean, Hannah, sorry. Just, I'm gonna, this is long, I'm gonna go. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Hannah, um, not Audrey. I just came from the ledge and it was just so amazing to see how many people were out there taking action and really inspiring. Um, so yeah, I, I'm just here to say that when we're, when we're talking about investing in community, uh, we need prioritizing investing in the health and well-being of all Manitobans now and in the future. Um, and that smart investment can help protect our economy and jobs from COVID as well as the climate crisis. Economists agree that now is the time to spend and we're seeing stimulus spending from all provinces pretty much except Manitoba. I would also encourage everyone to check out um, the national organization, The Leap, which has developed a people's bailout that shows how the response to COVID can al also help move us towards a just transition um, and how this is what we really need to see in Manitoba. Um, the Palestine government has always had an affinity for privatizing public services and weakening the public sector. Um, and we've seen this as well in their COVID response. We have to keep the economy under democratic control of the public and keep it serving the public good if we're ever to transition off of fossil fuels. During COVID, we've also all seen the kind of shortages that can happen when we rely on global supply chains to feed ourselves. We need a province to invest in a resilient food system, which means getting as much of our food as possible from local small scale farms. The COVID recovery should include a green stimulus that creates decent jobs in sustainable housing and building retrofits, local food production, renewable energy, as well as public transportation. And these jobs should make a living wage and be available to all. And lastly, and most importantly, um, we have all seen how COVID has made it so, so clear the importance of investing in things like healthcare, education, childcare, and social services. And sometimes these things get left out of thinking about um, climate action and what a uh, just transition looks like. Um, but we need government to recognize that these are actually really valuable forms of low carbon work. Um, and we should be moving towards an economy in which these types of services are, are the backbone. We're seeing unprecedented kinds of stimulus spending from the federal government and pretty much from every province except Manitoba. We have to call on the province using exactly the kinds of actions we're taking today um, and which MEJC has been doing for a long time now. Um, we have to call on the province to take this opportunity to step up and invest in community and make us more resilient instead of weakening us and making our communities more vulnerable to COVID as well as to future crises. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks, Anna. All right. Uh, so we just heard from Hannah. We talked, and, and I think she, uh, she highlighted a very important part uh, in talking about a just transition, which uh, is something to keep in mind because, 
when we're talking about um, uh, a pandemic, we think of it some oftentimes as a sort of a human crisis, but uh, it does have a relationship to the land and our waters and the things around us. So thanks, Hannah, for those words. Um, and for next up, we just have, uh, we have Kate, uh, who will be speaking. He's our last actual speaker, so uh, we're happy to, to have him here. Uh, so uh, I'll just hand this over to you, Kate. Hi, everybody. Thanks very much for the opportunity to speak. I'll try and zip through and try not to throw too many numbers out there, but that's kind of what Social Planning Council tries to look at is the actual data. But I wanted to start out, I guess, by saying that what I um, what has resonated most with me around the coverage around the, the pandemic is very much that saying around, no, we're actually not all in the same boat. We're just in the same storm. So I look at that and I think that um, I look at it most directly from uh, a report that we just did on child poverty here in Manitoba. So we're a partner with Campaign 2000, which is an organization that tries to hold the federal government account and other levels of government account on child poverty, because there was a promise in 1989 to end child poverty by the year 2000. Clearly, we're nowhere near having done that. So our current, how that plays out in Manitoba is, you know, sadly, we have uh, about 75% of the people we uh, incarcerate are Indigenous, and we have about 11,000 kids in child and family services, and we know the majority, vast majority of those are also Indigenous. So that's how poverty trickles down in our society. Um, here in Manitoba, it actually took our current government until 2017 to announce their revamped poverty reduction strategy. And when they did, they announced a, the, their goal would be a 25% reduction in child poverty. Um, there are three problems with that. The first one is that A, it's too low. Uh, when we're talking about 85,450 kids living in poverty, getting one quarter of that out of them out is not good enough. We have uh, one in three of children under six live in poverty in Manitoba right now. So uh, it was too low. It's also not a terrific measurement that is used because it actually says that a lone parent with two kids should be fine on about $32,000 a year. And I don't know what world uh, that 32,000 is enough to raise two kids on, certainly not here in Manitoba. And then thirdly, um, it actually had already been met when they announced it. So the 2016, we'd actually already reduced it by their measurement, but that was mostly through the Canada Child Tax Benefit. And our problem, our current problem and our uh, criticism of our current government is that they don't actually build on what the federal government is doing. They actually um, uh, actually use it as a reason to do a little bit less uh, of what they can do. So we have uh, EIA rates that are too low um, and changes that were made to what the province does do, say through the rent assist program, actually did mean that some people got less money. Uh, through that program than they used to get. So it actually negates some of the good work that the child tax benefit did. We actually also have in the, uh, when we're talking about working parents, uh, we actually also have one of the lowest, one of the highest rates of child poverty um, rates in with parents who are working because of our incredibly low um, uh, minimum wage. So a lot of people think that minimum wage workers are the typical, you know, teenager, part-time work, looking for extra cash, and that's actually not it. We know that, I'm gonna look at my numbers to be sure I have it right. We know that 66% of the people in minimum wage workers are 20 or older, 60% uh, of them are women, 43% of them work full-time, 27% have post-secondary gradu uh, graduation or degree, um, and 53% actually work for a very large organization. So they are not, you know, working in small businesses that can't 
that can't raise their minimum wage, or that is the argument against it. So in 2016, actually Manitoba was fourth in, in uh, child poverty rates, but unfortunately after 2017, we saw the numbers change. We saw a 7% increase in overall poverty and a 19% increase in uh, child poverty. So currently what we need, or if we continue at our current rate, it's actually gonna take 697.5 years to end child poverty in Manitoba. So when our government talks about not wanting to pass on debt to future generations, we're trying to get the message out there that that is not just a shameful legacy, that's gonna be an actual debt that future generations are gonna pay for again and again and again. You just heard excerpts of speakers at an online press conference organized by Communities Not Cuts, a coalition of Manitoba community organizations opposing Brian Pallister's public sector cuts during the COVID-19 pandemic. You can find more information at cncmanitoba.ca. You've been listening to Rank and File Radio Prairie Edition on CKUW 95.9 FM, Canadian labour news and analysis across Manitoba, Saskatchewan and Alberta. This show is supported by CKUW listeners and Patreon supporters. Thank you so much for keeping the show going. Subscribe to Rank and File Radio on iTunes, Google Podcasts or Stitcher And don't forget to check out rankandfile.ca for labour news and analysis across Canada. This is Emily signing off. I'll see you next week.